The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Thanks for joining us this morning. Professor Puleng Lingabule is the incoming Vice-Chancellor at Wits University. She joins me now. Uh, Professor Lingabule, good morning. Today, the stars have aligned properly. The, the way has been cleared for us to finally have this conversation. Thank you very much, Kathy, and thank you for the conversation. I actually appreciate your work and your robust engagement with the contemporary issues, including current affairs. So I was delighted when you were focusing on last week's issues. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Professor Linkabule. And, you know, I mean, the the last time we spoke, I think we we were able at least to touch a little bit on, you know, what you uh, see this position meaning, but maybe for the benefit of those listeners who could, who are perhaps not uh, with us on, on that day, let's talk about it again, just briefly, what this position means to to you? I think uh, the position uh, uh, implies that uh, there are many of us who are invited to ensuring that knowledge in South Africa, but in the continent, is mobilized to change the world for the better, to ensure that uh, women also who are competent, who are committed to the agenda of transforming our society, have the opportunity to lead institutions of higher learning or any other sector that their talents lead them to. What is your vision for UNISA, especially given the kind of access that UNISA has, not just in this country, but on the continent and the contribution that it has made in terms of making higher learning accessible to so many thousands of people? Thank you very much, Cathy. One of the things that I think all South Africans must always be proud of is that UNISA is the cradle of open distance e-learning systems, not only in South Africa, but globally. You realize that uh, open university, freedom university, all the universities that uh, are now into open distance learning mode drew their inspiration and their insight from UNISA as a cradle of uh, open distance, but also of higher education system in South Africa. What I think we need to do, therefore, is to ensure that that global leadership in terms of inventing systems that make university education accessible, that help societies to know that knowledge is important in transforming lives, in promoting inventions that respond to the social questions and, 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 and problems of societies, but also in enabling people to think anew the relevance of education in the fourth industrial revolution so that people do not lose hope or think, if I don't get a job, then my degree is not purposeful. I want to ensure that they understand that their diplomas, their degrees, if they are from the University of South Africa, will help them to create jobs, but also to be employed, will help them to be flexible, but also want to continue having the desire to learn even more. Mm. The issue that you're raising is an important one, because when you look at the latest unemployment numbers coming out of the country, it's a very 
clear picture that it paints about where in particular young people in this country are. And we're talking now of people under the ages of 35 who are facing an unemployment rate of 55%. And many of those young people would also have gone to university, have gone to institutions of higher learning to obtain some kind of um, qualification. And the sentiment that one gets is that people are becoming discouraged and disillusioned about what the true value of studying further will be given the current economic situation that I think not just this country, but the globe really finds itself in? Yes, yes. I think uh, you realize, uh, uh, Kathy, you're right. Statistics South Africa give gives us very disheartening um, levels of un- unemployment or underemployment. So it says that we have approximately 7 million youth in South Africa that are not employed. But it also says around 3 million of them have lost hope, even in looking for employment. My, my sense is that we as universities in South Africa must ensure that our graduate attributes, those ideas that when students finish uh, their studies, whether at undergraduate level or postgraduate level, will give them the requisite uh, knowledge or critical skills to start invent and participate constructively in the knowledge arena. I've said if UNISA, for instance, were to prioritize five key thematic areas that would respond to questions in South Africa and in the continent, we may actually be able to produce knowledge for its own sake, but also knowledge that resource people to create employment, to mm-hmm. get employment, but to have those critical attributes. I think if we were to understand and address questions of energy, energy is a problematic. And if we don't address them, we will not steer ourselves into the fourth industrial revolution mm-hmm. because we won't have data. Our companies will not be able to be agile and to participate uh, competitively with other others in other areas of the of the world. If we don't address with the government, with private sector, the questions of poverty and underemployment, therefore we will still sing the same tune. I think universities have always uh, separated themselves from the social agenda mm-hmm. or the social justice agenda. And part of my vision is to ensure that UNISA, primarily because it has 400 students, 400,000 students, those are stakeholders that are huge and the impact is huge in terms of uh, the national but also the continental footprint. So we need to ensure that universities become active and intentional around responding to the grand challenges of our society. And that's part of my vision in saying, how do we translate the research that the university will be undertaking to ensuring that we respond to these questions, but also we invent things.
When you talk about reinventing and re-engineering uh, higher learning, one of the challenges, of course, is that when we look at some of the reports that are compiled by the World Economic Forum, the OECD, this is just on what their outlook for jobs of the future, quote unquote, might be. Um, you look at what's in that top 10 list. And as somebody who is going to be the head of an institution, you can't necessarily dictate to people what they should study and what they shouldn't study. But how are you going to ensure that whatever it is that people are choosing to do is aligning with where the world is moving in? Because some degrees may well become redundant in coming years simply because of the way in which the world is evolving. Thank you. Let, let me give you, you're right, Kathy. Let me give you an example. Uh, a lot of our technical vocational training, uh, uh, educational systems are teaching people on welding. But we know that the world of the future, the, the, the convergence of materials is going to be beyond welding. So mechatronics is going to be a key imperative. I think for me, understanding the key critical issues for the future. It will be important to request that in our curricular system, we start embedding those aspects that will help and catapult our students into the world of the future. For instance, in 2014, when students uh, were protesting against e-learning, I told them, I'm sorry, my dear students, I really understand the questions and issues you're raising, but I'd like us to explore what this e-learning is about because I don't want us to be left behind. And we, we went into research, critical analysis, and we realized that we have to actually be agile and accelerate ourselves into online and e-learning. I think I have a stakeholder approach that always ensures that we engage, we learn together, we unearth new possibilities. And I think that's the way that I will work with students, staff, and stakeholders of the University of South Africa to try to ensure that as we steer ourselves into the future, that we don't go alone, that we rise together, that we do so understanding the liabilities, disadvantages of not taking into cognizance the new shift in the global arena, but also in the knowledge system. We're in conversation with Professor Puleng Lingabula. She is uh, UNISA's Vice Chancellor and will be taking over that post in early 2021. Uh, the numbers to use this hour 011-714-2006 if you want to engage with her on her appointment. Of course, she hasn't taken over just yet, so uh, she's still at the Free State University, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so some yes. of the practical logistical issues uh, that you may have questions about. I'm not sure that she might be able to answer those questions right now. Uh, the WhatsApp line is 0614-104-107. You can send uh, your messages on WhatsApp there. The SMS line is uh, 41391. Uh, when you talk about e-learning, Professor Lengabula, we, we've heard from some of the, the, the other institutions on what COVID-19 has done to their own processes and how they've had to, you know, 
expedite the process of getting different programs, etc., etc., to ensure that their learners are still able to continue with education. We can't deny the issue of access and what that does in terms of fairness for those learners who are going through the process because we've seen even um, through the implementation and, and interventions from universities that ultimately those students who are coming from rural areas, who are coming from disadvantaged backgrounds are, are going to have a harder time than others. Yes, yes. I think I think you're raising an important point, Kathy, uh, because we cannot undermine or underestimate the challenges of the digital divide. We already are aware that in our society and in the continent, the, the binaries between those who have and those who have not are quite wide. So I, I suggest that the interventions that we ought to put in place as universities must use analytics in order to understand who among our students are left behind or will be left behind when we steer ourselves into the digital arena and therefore make sure that the solutions respond to those. So at the University of the Free State where I work, what we did is that for those students who did not have access or whose homes uh, were not um, um, enabling environments for learning. Those were the students we invited back to the university in order to access our Wi-Fi or to participate meaningfully. I think interventions such as those are required so that we don't just re, uh, re-empower those who are privileged, but we ensure that we read our context well, we use technology and analytics to make proper decisions and interventions, but also we intentionally overcome the digital divide because that's what has been the disadvantage Mm. for majority of South Africans and continental students. What does it do when learners are coming from, again, backgrounds where they haven't been exposed uh, necessarily to computers or e-learning at the scale at which they would have to take it up, let's say, from their first year of learning? How are you going to work around that? Because, you know, just the experience of being in in university and having to I, I, and having to you know have other learners in the classroom who are struggling with um you know some of the uses of technology that again is a great disadvantage so while we take for granted that well everybody knows how this program works or that program works because they would have been doing it in high school that is not necessarily the case in South Africa so we don't all get into first year on the same footing or on the same uh, on the same level thank you very much it is important to create an equilibrium as soon as the students come that's why it's important to analyze who they are what environment they come from and what uh, support they will need so student learning support is a an important aspect that universities must invest in and emphasize. When I was the dean of students at WITS, one of the things that we did for orientation, instead of just having fun showing students where to go about if they needed something, we ensured that for the first week, we all we put them all in a computer literacy exercise. But we also 
uh, analyze their language skills, analyze their social competencies, analyze their ability to navigate complexity in order to empower them. I think the first year empowerment program is an, is an important aspect. If you create an equilibrium, an access point at that level of assisting the students, including on how to write uh, academic uh, articles, how to write in academic ways. I think you can discover that even a child who comes from an, a disadvantaged mm. environment, mm. precisely because they will be equipped, they will compete with others who are advantaged. And I think we need to be deliberate as universities around this. We often think that students just come to the university and they'll find their way. I think first year is one that program that we have to empower students and afterwards mm. they will fly. Mm, absolutely. Uh, Bernard in the Free State, good morning. Hello, Bernard. Yes, can you hear me? Hi. Yes, I can now. Good morning. Yes, um, I would like to congratulate Professor. And um, I have just two questions for the Professor. Mm-hmm. Um, now that the Professor, I believe that she's coming from traditional universities, not necessarily with uh, e-learning, um, what or what strategies does she have in mind um, to take over the legacy of uh, Prof. Makaya and ensure that the majority of South Africans and students abroad are able to access um, UNISA from wherever they are? Mm. The last question is, um, I would like to find out from Professor, uh, currently I understand that she's working at the University of Free State, and what kind of lessons um, that she has learned from the University of uh, Free State going to UNESA, which is more transformed compared mm. to uh, University of Free State. Thank okay. you. Thank you so much for those important questions, Bernard. Mulifen Cape Town, very briefly, good morning. Uh, good morning, ma'am. Yes, uh, let me try to be brief if I can. I'm talking about the fact that we get distracted we the the students while we are um trying to study because you find that unisa has still to um accommodate those students that could not have either funding or something like that mm-hmm. so what i'm suggesting to the professor now is that can she exist or once she gets into the post get to make a deal with either the government or any other funders like NASFAS and them to say please when you fund a student by the time we complete with the registration, have those funds secured for that student. Because we don't want a situation like last year or this year or last year, this year or last year where the students who had less fast fund got to realize later on that they were got, that fund was going to be um, taken away for whatever reason that mm-hmm. uh, didn't fit. So if they can secure the funds before registration complete then all those students that have been uh, accepted for that year get to focus only on learning. You find in July, in June, in August, people are still trying to get to the um, system. So that is my point to her and saying to Mm -hmm. her, please, by the time the registration complete, all those people that are um, studying get their studies uh, funding sorted out. Then we can focus on 
explaining. All right, Molefe. Uh, it, it's an important point in terms of exactly what the experience of students at an institution is. It's very hard to continue studying when you actually don't know that you're going to get the money that, that you need to be able to carry you through uh, those studies. Professor Linkabula? Thank you, Kathy. I'll start with the last one. I think financing for higher education has always been a contested terrain. Mm. We know that even during the fees must fall. This is one of the issues that was highlighted as one of those that uh, really uh, um, challenge students in, in succeeding. They have access to the university, but they cannot succeed because of financial challenges. So it is my primary my primary interest. I think I would like to, to draw on the public-private participation and investment in higher education to ensure that we have an endowment that could bridge what uh, financial aid systems in the country, but also in the continent, are able to finance more students. I think such an endowment will be resourceful in mediating the challenges that either the missing middle or students who may have the, the, the talent and the intellectual aptitude but not have the money could have access to. So this is one of the primary issues that I'd like to institute as soon as I join UNISA to create an endowment that helps students who fall through the cracks so that financing is not the problem but studying becomes their primary engagement. The second part or, or, uh, related to what Bernard is raising is the issue of uh, lessons from the University of the Free State. Yes, I, I actually like learning from the contact universities that I've worked at, that uh, University of Toronto as well as University of the Free State, primarily because uh, issues uh, are dealt with differently. At the University of the Free State, one of the exciting aspects was the work that we did in the integrated transformation agenda. Our transformation agenda was about people, was about systems, was about institutional cultures, whether it's issues around names, symbols, and statues, in order to ensure that visible fairness or social justice is available as it was important for issues of financing. And I think those are some of the lessons I learned. I also learned that in contexts where a sense of ownership or historical uh, closeness to, to some ideas, uh, when you have to change those, you have to create tactics and strategies that do not push people away, but that sensitize them to understanding why change is necessary. So it must be an intellectual argument. Even when students protest, they should do it, but with respect to the Constitution, but also the rights of others. So engagement, engagement, engagement became the, the resource that enabled me at least to overcome complexity mm. and contestations. Finally, I think... The free state is in the center. People forget about it. They think about it as a transitional environment to go to Cape Town or to go to uh, uh, Devon. They don't see it as important. But I think it's an important aspect because it is linked with many environments, the Northern Cape and others. So when I joined the university, we really reactivated collaborative engagement with the 
technical vocational training uh, 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 schools as we did with Falklaki, CUT, Muteo, Flavius Mareka, in order to ensure that we work collaboratively, we resource each other on those aspects where uh, our expertise were. And I think it's an important aspect. Even at UNISA, I will attempt to ensure that there is collaborative approaches with other universities in Mm -hmm. the country, but also outside the country to respond to the grand challenges of South Africa and of the continent. Professor Lengabula, we certainly wish you all of the very best um, as you get ready to take on this new role. I'm sure we'll be engaging with you a lot more in the coming future. She's the incoming UNISA Vice-Chancellor. Thanks for your time today. It's just after 11 o'clock. Utsile has your news.